Back up. What? Get back, get back. It's unsafe. We need to move. I swear, if you try anything. If I try, what? You're gonna, you're gonna shoot me. Is that right? Yeah, that would be perfect. Because, of course, rifle fire right next to, what would you call this? Hydrogen bomb. Yes, fantastic idea. Really inspired. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today, I'll be looking at episode 503, entitled Jughead. This is the 89th episode of the series, and there are 32 to go. And with that, let's jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, which opens with a flashback of Desmond in the Philippines, searching for a doctor to help his wife, Penny, who is giving birth to their son, Charlie. In 2007, Desmond and Penny arrive in London, where Desmond plans to look for the mother of Daniel Faraday, who is believed to be at Oxford University. However, the university has no record of either Faraday, even though Daniel was a professor there. Desmond breaks into and searches Faraday's lab. There he meets a janitor who tells him that Faraday conducted experiments on a woman and provides an address for her. At her house, Desmond finds the woman in a vegetative state after experiencing temporal disassociation, similar to Desmond's experiences on the freighter as seen in The Constant. He learns that Penny's father, Charles Widmore, is not only paying for her medical expenses, but also funded Daniel's research. Desmond confronts Widmore, who gives him the address of Daniel's mother in Los Angeles. Desmond returns to Penny, who agrees they must travel there. In 1954, following the events of the previous episode, The Lie, Juliet, Locke, and Sawyer interrogate two men they have captured. Juliet deduces that they are members of the others because they can speak Latin. One of the men, later revealed to be a young Charles Widmore, kills the other when he agrees to lead them to Richard Alpert. And then Widmore flees to his campsite to warn his people. Locke follows him and meets with Alpert, using Jacob's name and the compass Alpert gave him to gain his trust. However, Alpert is not entirely convinced. Locke tells Alpert to visit him after he is born in 1956, a visit depicted in the episode Cabin Fever, during which Alpert shows a young Locke the compass, but cannot convince Alpert to show him how to leave the island before the next time jump occurs. At the same time, the freighter team consisting of Miles, Charlotte, and Daniel are captured by another group of others, led by Ellie. Faraday deduces that the American military has come to the island to test hydrogen bombs, and that the others are in possession of one which is leaking radiation. He convinces Albert to let him defuse the bomb, confessing his love for Charlotte as proof that he won't detonate it on purpose. Ellie leads Faraday to the bomb, the titular Jughead, and after an inspection, he advises her that the bomb should be buried and it will not go off for at least 50 years, inadvertently revealing that he is from the future. Ellie doesn't believe him, but Juliet and Sawyer show up and disarm her. The time jump occurs and the group is safe, but Charlotte suddenly collapses with a nosebleed. With that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. This is a... it's not a spectacular episode, but this is a meat-and-potatoes episode of what Lost should be. This really, the episode chugs along really, really nicely. Lots of nice reveals, some spectacular characterization, even in small moments, as we'll discuss in a little bit. 
and uh, just definitely, definitely a, a, a worthwhile episode. And indeed, it has a fun opening kind of in that shanty beach town, which initially I thought uh, might have been where the Oceanic Six landed. I mean, perhaps it was filmed at the same spot. I don't know. But um, it, it certainly appeared uh, initially that that was the, um, you know, perhaps that's where the story was going. Uh, but it is, of course, instead uh, the spot where Desmond is frantically looking for a doctor. Um, looking back and a bit unsure of things, as I said, I I have to admit, I then thought that this was after Ben's attack. Um, but of course, it is Penny about to give birth. Yeah, as I've mentioned before, um, certainly episodes in seasons one and two, I've seen many, many times uh, before I did the podcast. And now we're kind of entering a stretch where some of these episodes, this might be the second time I'm seeing them. So even being clear where things are headed, it's, uh, you know, it's a bit fun to have at least some mystery uh, uh, back in my viewing of Lost. But anyhow, so here we have Penny about to give birth. There's a lot of yelling and a little bit of blood. And after all that, there's a fairly clean three-month-old with ketchup and Vaseline on its head that gets handed to Penny. But as the happy couple declares their love for each other, even my snarkiness is overcome by the genuine bond shown between the two characters. Of course, a tip of the hat to the actors there driving those characters. And the next scene is similarly genuine. Daddy Desmond showing his now toddler son about the, or or telling his son rather, about the special island of Great Britain. It's a cute moment that leads to authentic, honest exposition about the evils of Papa Widmore and Desmond's recently remembered mission that Faraday uh, gave him. Uh, with that, we're back in the island, where there's a bit more expositional recap, uh, where to meet Sawyer at the creek, unless he's been shot by flaming arrows. Um, and in this scene with the, you know, what Wikipedia calls the freighter group, um, there's a long steady cam shot. It's really a lovely one, given that it's both smooth and how it continues to go on and on, but it's also rough in that, you know, it is a steady cam jungle, twisty, turny shot, but really really nice bit of camera work there and uh, it leads to a bit more exposition and foreshadowing uh, charlotte's dizziness and headache is uh, is uh, repeated and great great i don't know whether it's an acting moment writing moment directing moment i don't know but charlotte admitting that she still has i think it's put to her you know do you have dizziness or headache and she says both uh, and with that daniel is stunned and frozen for a moment it's a lovely, sad little moment, um, certainly foreshadowing the end of the episode, Charlotte's future troubles and, and eventual death, but really, really a nice, um, it's just nice there. He's towards the rear of the scene. He's so stunned. The camera keeps moving for a moment. He's now smaller um, because he's farther away. Just really, really a nice, uh, a nice visual moment. Anyhow, they get to the creek. And uh, Miles discovers a trip trip wire, which unfortunately takes out those remaining pesky extras. With that, army folks, with uh, at least apparent army folks, uh, as we'll learn in the episode, um, but what we'll call army folks with uh, bows and arrows appear, and there's one rifle, one rifle lady, I should say, and they surround our heroes. The rifle is indeed uh, held by that blonde English woman. Now, 
on first viewing, I didn't see that this was Miss Hawking, though, given that she's the only English woman that we've met thus far, um, I guess it should have been Miss Hawking, that is to say. I feel like it should have been a bit more obvious, and perhaps it was a theory that was um, banging around there on the internet. For whatever reason, by the time seasons five and six came along, I was a little bit less tied into the whole uh, the whole theorizing world uh, of Lost. I was just kind of enjoying making my own conclusions as I watched it. So um, I don't know. Perhaps that was a very popular prediction back then. And it certainly is a prediction that this episode um, points towards, uh, if not when you're watching it for the first time, then certainly in retrospect. But we'll... We'll get to that in a moment. Um, in that scene, though, there's a curious, fun little camera shot from her point of view with the rifle moving first from Miles, then to Daniel. Uh, with that, she tells him, just couldn't stay away, could you? Um, and with that, we go to the title card. Now, I think initially, uh, especially given some of the time travel, things that have gone on, I think initially we were supposed to think that this was... Um, some sort of, you know, time loop thing where he's met, she's met him already, but he hasn't met her yet because he'll flash back in time to meet her for the first time kind of thing. Um, obviously she's just referring to, you know, you, you, the army, because she perceives these people to be the U S military, uh, couldn't stay away. Um, and then of course there's the added irony that uh, you know he's talking to his mother, which is something else that, that gets hinted at in the episode uh, a bit later on. So certainly many layers, and I think that top layer of, oh, he's already met her through some sort of time travel thing that he doesn't know yet. Um, you know, it's a bit of a misdirect, but uh, nothing wrong with that. Plenty of plenty of fun as always. So anyhow, with that, then we have the or you know we have the title card, then the Happy Hume family docked in England. Uh, with that, we have a, a bit of very useful exposition. Why is Desmond remembering this now when it happened so long ago? I'm sure that that was a question that we were all asking at the time. Desmond's response is that he doesn't know, but he does nicely recap the telling and repeats it a few times that he's absolutely certain that this is his final island-related mission forever for goodsies. Well, the scene is capped with Penny making Desmond swear that he'll never return to the island, and he states that he would never, ever want to return. A, that's not a promise, and B, it's delivered so vaguely, even by that capable actor, that, you know, we don't really believe it. Uh, even keeping in mind willful suspension of disbelief that probably he's returning to the island, as are the Oceanic Six, even if you set that aside, we don't really believe it. Anyhow, back to the island. The army captors seem as confused about our heroes as our heroes are confused about them. Um, and the blonde Hawking, uh, who still is conveni conveniently unnamed at this point, uh, asks where the rest of Daniel's people are. Speaking of convenience, that's convenient because those other people, Sawyer, Locke, and Juliet, uh, or where the story moves to next. And they have, of course, two baddies at gunpoint. And oddly in this scene, they skirt a few issues. Locke is about to talk about how the new, or pardon me, about how new the old-fashioned gun is. Hint, we're in the past, which is completely predictable, but 
for some reason the show doesn't want to say it yet. Um, and Locke is also about to talk about how he was shot by Ethan, but he's not able to say the shooter's name because Juliet interrupts. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the effect is. To I don't know why they're hiding that. Certainly they can theorize, hey, I think we're in the past. Now the flip side is, it is slightly disconcerting. We don't know when we are, despite the fact there, that there are these, you know, these all these other people here. But um, it's just a slightly strange scene to be hiding things. Um, but anyhow, Juliet interrupting works out well, given that it both injects her into the scene and that she's able to hear the soldiers speak Latin. And why does she speak Latin? For the same reason they do. Because they're others. Anyhow, with that, the story uh, heads back to Miles and company. And he reports that they've walked over a grave of four dead army men, three having been shot and one dead of radiation poisoning. Dan asks if Miles knows the year, but since everyone is being interrupted, the blonde Hawking tells everyone that they're here. Now, I don't know if the location uh, of this, you know, uh, camp, for lack of a better word, I I believe later on in my notes I call it Camp Otherton, Um, I don't know if it was meant to be, story-wise, if it was meant to be the same place as uh, Othersville. Um, But it it certainly feels that way. And that certainly is to the credit of the show. And it feels like, hey, you know, they they put their tents there. I mean, we'll later learn this was the, this is where the army put their tents. But, you know, it was like, here these people are with supplies and tents and they decide to stay. And then, you know, fast forward. Uh, you know, what, 50, 60 years later, and they have, you know, they have Othersville there. Anyhow, perhaps at this point, the the vagary concerning when they are becomes apparent. Uh, with ageless Richard popping out of the tent, now even we can't begin to guess, I mean, wh- where we are, or when we are, rather. Of course, we can guess a bit uh, as first-time viewers. Um, you know, there are guns, so it's not 300 years ago, and so on and so forth, but what we're presented with is timeless army fatigues, a timeless leader, and that revelation ends the act. After the break, it's Desmond at Oxford trying to find Faraday's mother, though he's told there is no Faraday having worked at Oxford. Now, as a side note, they really sell the Britishiness of this Hawaiian cathedral quite well, um, particularly as he's walking into it though the shot selection suggests that there isn't a whole lot in the real-life location. There's kind of the the tall tower and wall of the cathedral, and then there's this you know, outdoor walkway, which we've seen from that angle tons of times. It's, it, it is, of course, Charlie's church as well from uh, the, the first... Uh, was that the first Charlie flashback episode? I suppose it would be, you know, but when Charlie's in church, that's the church as well. Um lit a bit differently you know it's, it's kind of a bit more of a gray look to it to, to be although i suppose they're both um, <laughs> both take place in britain don't they right um anyhow just you know i mean you use what you have i'm sure there aren't many cathedrals in uh, in hawaii that are that are suitable to stand in for oxford but anyhow desmond uh, wanders around a little bit before going to the physics department and breaking into a very shuttered lab uh, and it's the same lab that he visited in Flashes Before Your Eyes. Uh, or is it the constant? Hmm. 
now I'm getting getting the two mixed up. Um, right, would have been the constant. Hello. Anyhow, uh, with that, a nice old janitor comes along, dismissive of the fact that that crazy Faraday was trying to send rat brains back in time. And there's that nice little detail in there that he, the janitor, was the one that would incinerate the rat bodies. You know, take them down to the incinerator. Just you know, it's enough of a twisted Faraday you know this guy got sick of taking dead rats down to burn um that you know oh there's some somewhat intelligent looking guy here on the on the trail for Faraday sure I'll spill the beans you know this guy made me take the rat bodies down to the fire so even the the smallest of characters get their characterization don't they and the scene ends with a bit of a hint too Faraday did something awful to quote that girl, close quote. Then the story moves back to the other's tentville, which I do rather like the name Camp Otherton, but anyhow. Uh, at this point, Daniel muses that the others presume that they, meaning Daniel and company, are U.S. military. And then Daniel really, really puts his big boy pants on in order to bluff. It's our best chance of staying alive is to let them keep thinking it, all right? Let it... Sorry, am I interrupting? Ellie tells me that you're not willing to reveal where the rest of your squad is? Why would I do that? So you can kill them too? We didn't start this, friend. Your people attacked us. You come to our island to run your tests, you fire on us, and what, you expect us not to defend ourselves? I don't know ourselves? anything about that. We are scientists. So what, so they sent you here to recover? You mean our hydrogen bomb? Then yes. And I'm guessing from this man's radiation burns that the housing has been compromised. Is that right? You need to listen to me. You have an unstable device that's capable of destroying this entire island, and it's broken. If you don't allow me to render it inert, all of us are going to die. All of us. How do I know you weren't sent here on some suicide mission? I'll take you out to the bomb. You'll just detonate it. Because I'm in love with the woman sitting next to me. And I would never... I would never do anything to her. It's such a fun reveal of the pieces being put together, as well as Big Boy Dan just really showing his mettle. You know, I, I think it makes us appreciate Dan as a character even more. At a boy, Dan. Anyhow, with that, the story goes back to Sawyer and Company, and Blonde Army Man reveals that uh, likely everyone else was captured as Sawyer shouted, "Meet at the creek." He and Juliet speak in Latin concerning Ricardus Alpert, and the blonde man tells her how to get uh, back to the camp. With that, the other man breaks uh, the blonde man's neck and runs off. Now, why doesn't Locke shoot him? Well, it's a rather withered end of an act, Hook. The answer is because he's one of my people. Locke here is playing leader. Yawn. 
also we'll learn later on. It's quite convenient that he didn't, you know, shoot Widmore and therefore, <laughs> I was going to say change the timeline. Of course, Lost doesn't subscribe to that, but naturally he wasn't going to shoot Widmore all, all along. After the act break, it's 2007, and Desmond is following up on that girl. Her sister invites him in, and it's a vaguely sarcastic uh, allowing uh, you know him in, opening the door to the man who was sent by the mighty Daniel Faraday. Why? Because the sister is comatose, but not exactly. He didn't tell you, did he? No, no, he didn't. Can she hear us? No. Teresa's way right now. Away? What do you mean? Sometimes she wakes up, thinks she's free, wants to know where her dolly is. Yesterday, she was talking to our dad. He died five years ago. I'm sorry. Uh, this was a mistake. I, I shouldn't have come. Well, of course. Why would you want to stay? Daniel certainly didn't. He left for like this? Went running off to the States, never to be heard from again. He abandoned her. What kind of a man does that? Seriously, don't know what we would have done if I hadn't been for Mr. Winmore. I'm sorry, who? Daniel's benefactor. He funded his research and he took responsibility for the result of it. He's been taking care of Teresa ever since this happened to her. Everything here is due to Mr. Winmore. God bless him. Ah, the plot thickens and that little opening there to start to explore the Faraday-Widmore link further. You know, a link that, of course, uh, will be mined much, much deeper uh, in the remaining 30-plus episodes that the show has. Anyhow, back to that, uh, that evil Faraday, back to Daniel. There's a tremendous, tremendous little moment uh, as they are uh, being held in a, in, in a tent by the others. And on the page, it's just dialogue. It's just Charlotte playing off Dan's bluff of love and him affirming it as truth and her looking pleased. But performed by these actors, the affirmation is warm and tender. And her response is a dawning, glowing delight. It's actors acting at their absolute very best. It's just remarkable and it's short and it's quick and the show doesn't stop to say now you two act but you know they're given the scene and they play the scene to perfection and with that ellie the blonde hawking now having been named recently uh ellie retrieves dan who has a powwow with richard richard explains that an encroaching army group set up this camp and they were told to leave but didn't so now they're dead I'm actually reminded at this point that, uh, let's see, it would have been Dharma who built Othersville and not uh, the Others. But at any rate, perhaps this is, you know, perhaps this is a spot that the army was there and then Dharma comes along, you know, builds the exact same spot. But anyhow, this location is evocative of the Other at any rate. And, uh, and back to this episode, there's a reminder that everyone works for someone. Richard, of course working for Jacob. Uh, and at this point, the previously escaped brown-haired Brit, about to be revealed as Widmore soon, uh, arrives back at camp. 
Richard chastises him for having run straight here, but the Brit's response telegraphs a moment where we're supposed to be rooting for our heroes. Their leader is a sodding old man. Could he really know this island better than us? Cut to the camera craning down over Locke's bald head, his back to us as he gazes upon the camp. It's a tad contrived, but you know what? It works wonderfully. If it works, it works, and here it does. Uh, with that, we get some Richard hints from Juliet. He's always been here. He's old. Then Locke spells out a plan. Get more info from Richard, despite the fact that, look, there goes Dan being death-marched out into the jungle by Ellie. At least apparently death-marched. And the story follows those two, where Dan says she looks like someone he used to know hmm desmond is looking for dan's mom and here dan's found her see the structure of the episode it's really it's really lovely uh she talks tough but when he turns around and gives it back to her she oddly kind of walks backward the gun is still up but she's not a killer at heart she doesn't have the spine to shoot him today uh good thing too because think of all the parenting issues that would lead to Anyhow, he says that uh, he's the best chance to disarm the bomb, and she says to simply do it. And with that, we cut to the giant hydrogen bomb suspended above the ground. It's good enough for an act break, and then he's gingerly looking it over, but not before realizing that it's in bad shape, and he's got a plan to fix that all that sounds oddly familiar. Hey, listen to me. Do you people have any access to lead or concrete? For what? There's a crack in the casing. It needs to be filled with lead. You need to take it off this platform carefully and bury it. You brought me all the way out here to tell us that we have to bury it? I told Albert you could disarm that thing. You don't need to worry. You do what I say, you bury it, it won't go off. How do you know that? I need you to trust me. I don't trust you. Just bury it. Bury it and everything will be fine. Remember, you're superior. How can you be so sure? You want to take care of this How? bomb? You bury it. How do you know that? Because... 50 years from now, this island is still here. There you... What did you just say? Whoa. Take it easy. I can explain myself a little better. I know how this sounds. Believe me, it's... It's hard to explain. 50 years from now, me and my... Me and my friends... That's where we're from, okay? And here's the key. Everything's fine. I'm not saying it's perfectly fine. There hasn't been any atomic blast, all right? Drop your gun, Blondie. Lead and concrete and in the ground. Here we are basically on the second night of season five. Episodes 501 and 502 having aired together the previous week. And not only is the season endgame of the incident being perhaps not revealed, but being set up, but... Of course, this is lead and concrete and in the ground. This is starting to sound like the hatch. And it's just a... It's wonderful that here we are. He's proposing this hatch. Uh, you know, a, a place that he's been to. Uh, you know, to see Desmond. And a place that was so central to the show in seasons one. And especially season two. This being the season, you know, the kind of a, a mirror of season two season five is where we're returning to the hatch and here's the first instance of do you have the stuff to make some sort of place to put this it's just it's brilliant fun 
Anyhow, back to 2007 Desmond, where he storms into Widmore's office. As a side note, the polar bear painting that had been flipped in the past, flipped backwards, uh, is now seen properly, albeit in the background. It has a polar bear. It says, Namaste. Uh, I believe the thinking back... um, Oh, the thinking back at the time was when that picture was first seen was that it was a little too cute, I think, not knowing to, you know, when they decided that Widmore had an island past. I think it was perhaps a bit too revealing for you to assume that he had an island past at that point. But of course, here he has this kind of abstract painting, which very much ties into uh, his island past and our future on the show. Anyhow, with this, Desmond bluffs, albeit a bit poorly, saying that, well, I guess ultimately poorly. His bluff is good. It's just, it's not based in much of a bluff, as as we'll see. He says that uh, because Widmore sent Dan to the island and funded his research, he must know Dan's mother. Yeah, Widmore does know Eloise a bit, doesn't he? Uh, with that, Widmore pauses briefly, perhaps a moment to reflect on the unstated truth, and he gives Desmond an address in Los Angeles. Hmm, an older woman in Los Angeles. That sure does sound like last week's lady. Anyhow, Widmore then strongly but pleadingly states that Desmond must get himself and Penny out of this situation. It's vaguely contrasted by Desmond's previously stated desire to be done with all of this after just this last little mission. Anyhow, back to Camp Otherton, where Locke boldly wanders on in, crying out that he wants to speak with Richard, speak with Richard. Where's Richard? He amusingly ignores his former British prisoner until a gun is pointed at him. When Richard appears, John declares, My name is John Locke. Richard has no idea who he is. Locke looks like he's almost melting as his plan fails. Then he goes for the Hail Mary. Jacob sent me. And that gets Richard's attention, and then something gets our attention. Put the gun down. What? Richard, you can't seriously trust him. I said, put the gun down, Whitmore. And, just in case you missed it the first time... Your name is Whitmore? Charles Whitmore? What's it to you? Nothing. Nice to meet you. Now that is one heck of a good act break. After it, we're back on Penny's boat, where Desmond tells his own lie that Faraday's mother died. The lie lasts exactly two seconds before Penny calls him on it, which is just a nice little moment of characterization there. What unfolds is a great little scene Desmond affirming his non-involvement with this now re-unfolding mess. And to be fair, it's also an abandonment of community and responsibility. And Penny calls him on both. And thus, they are both off to Los Angeles. Story moves back to Locke and Richard, with none of Locke's efforts working, though Richard is predictably polite about it. Locke scrambles a bit and... In the process, some loose threads get tied together. All right. All right. What year is it right now? It's 1954. 
All right. May 30th, 1956. Two years from now, that's the day I'm born. Tustin, California. And if you don't believe me, I suggest you come and visit me. Oh, no. What's wrong? It's about to happen again. You need to tell me now, Richard. How do I get off the island? Please, tell me! Side note, that's a nice little sound effect there for the time whoosh. Uh, I've never quite listened to it before in, uh, well, with headphones on and with uh, with no other distraction, with no visuals or acting and whatnot, but it's quite nice. Anyhow, obviously the big uh, reveal there is, why did Richard go see Locke? Why is he even checking in on Locke? Because, uh, because of this meeting. Again, whatever happened, happened. And uh, I suppose he keeps checking in on Locke because he doesn't quite believe Locke adult lock he doesn't quite believe it but he also doesn't quite i mean how do you dismiss it that you'll say this person's gonna be born on this date at this place and then it happens um you know but then richard can't ever quite put it all together in part in large part i would argue because Locke is playing leader Locke is never that effective leader that he wants to be um so the strong, confident, inspired man that's before Richard is a, a bit of an act. And, you know, it's an act that Locke is playing on himself as well. But, you know, it certainly it's nice. Oh, that's why Richard keeps showing up. This is why. This is why. Period. And uh, indeed, as you heard at the end of the clip there, they flashed out to another time. Perhaps it appears even farther back based on the lack of the army camp. And... Of course, love having been professed in the episode, the headache and the the dizziness having persisted in the episode, well, that's never good for a character. Yeah, me too. I'm great too. Charlotte. Charlotte. No, no, no. Look at, hey, look at me, look at me. It's okay. It's okay. Charles! Well, and unfortunately, thus begins the, uh, the decline for Charlotte. Yeah, we'll, we'll save her eulogy for another episode, but <laughs> could we see it coming? I think even first-time viewers should have this persistent headache the, the dizziness and then to have a moment of breakthrough uh and a shot at happiness for two characters you know that's that's never good on this show rarely does it work anyhow with that let's look ahead to lostpedia for the bits and pieces i've missed it's a, a good slate of uh of trivia here first ellie states that there were only 20 people on the beach before the attack subtracting the eight known casualties in the lie and the two red shirts killed by the claymore mines there are now at most only 10 beach camp residents alive on the island including sawyer juliet danielle charlotte miles rose and bernard so by my count that's seven just enough to have a couple extras here and there or perhaps her number is off a tad but anyhow for the second and third time in the series juliet refers to herself as an other first time was in the other woman 
Juliet is the only one of Ben's people to refer to herself as such. Also from Lostpedia, only two of the original cast members from season one, Sawyer and Locke, appear in this episode. Which is a, that's a neat little moment. Who would have thought that we'd come this far to have only two people? Um, anyhow, Mary Ann Tahini plays Moira, the receptionist at Oxford. She had also played Jenna, who I believe was working the ticket counter in Exodus Part 2. Uh, and then some trivia here from Wikipedia. Elizabeth Mitchell learned as much Latin as she could for the episode. Mitchell said that she could not just learn it phonetically, so she spent the whole weekend trying to learn the language on the phone with a Latin professor. And uh, as we head to the last little bit here, Jughead was the name of an actual Mark 16 nuclear bomb that was never de detonated in the South Pacific. It was scheduled to be detonated in the Castle Yankee series of tests in 1954. The tower where the bomb is hanging is based on designs from the Manhattan Project, and the other's camp uses actual Korean War military tents. So there you go. That uh, thus brings this episode to a close. Let's look ahead to next week, which is episode 104, The Little Prince, an episode that I'm certainly looking forward to jumping into. And uh, with that, if you'd like to share feedback, the best way is, say, is to say hello to me on Twitter where I'm looking back lost. You can also send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can also leave a, uh, a message on the listener line, 732-707-1815. So thank you, as always, for listening, one and all. And I will talk to you all again next week for 504 The Little Prince. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. <laughs>